Rocktown Hall, Saturday Night Shut-In. I'm your host, Mr. Moderator, bringing you a theme night that I'm going to call the first time ever I heard your record. I'm going to be playing records that made a deep impression on me and that I relate to specific uh, events in my life at first hearing. We kicked it off with uh, Roberta Flax, the first time I ever heard you. I ever saw your face, excuse me. Kind of an obvious uh, theme song for this theme night. However, that doesn't qualify really from my personal experience. I knew and enjoyed that song growing up. But let's face it, I was a little kid listening on AM radio. I had not lived much. I had not loved at all. It wasn't until sometime in, I was probably about 20 years old in Atlantic, 
Records put out a seven, I think, uh, double album collection called Atlantic Rhythm and Blues. It was dated from their start in, I don't know, the late 40s uh, through the, the mid-70s. Volume six included the last time, or the first time I ever saw your face. At that point, I'd lived a bit, and I'd loved a bit, and the song was beautiful. It meant a lot to me at that point, it still does. It's a beautiful song. And now I have the, the wisdom and the patience to sit through those long, quiet stretches. But I was reminded earlier this week in a, uh, a, a post that Finoka put up about, you know, albums that we initially thought sucked and then later came around to. And a couple people brought up uh, the difficulties with Trout Mask Replica. And I know it's going to seem like I'm playing the hipper than now card, but I'm honest. I dug that album the first time I heard it. Freshman year, I'd made this friend, a kind of fellow oversized guy, kind of, you know, caught between jock world and, and uh, artsy-fartsy world. Huge Beatles fan as well. We spent many, many, many nights bonding and days bonding uh, freshman year. Sophomore year, I went out to visit him a couple days before school started. He lived out by where we were going to school. And he took me to his local mall and introduced me. One of his uh, high school friends was working at the record store. We got there about, I don't know, 15 minutes before closing. And his friend, a guy with, you know, blonde hair, kind of like curly blonde hair he's trying to comb out. He looked like a guy in sticks, you know, with a blonde mustache. He told us, come back in about 10 minutes when I'm just about ready to close this store and I'll have a little treat for you. We came back and he said, okay, just kind of be in the back of the store, start looking around, and I'm going to let you go wild and just pick out whatever you want. I'm going to give you 15 minutes after I close these doors, 15 minute kind of theft spree. They were under, under budgeted for, uh, you know, what they had expected to be stolen that month. So we made out with about 70, I think it was 76 records between us. Pretty evenly split. It's slightly different tactics. My buddy picked up a lot of greatest hits albums, a lot of uh, 70s kind of poppy stuff he wanted to investigate, as well as some offbeat stuff. I went whole hog going for double albums. Uh, I got I got second edition by Pill. I got uh, Bitches Brew, Miles Davis, and you know. I even bought a, I, I bought, what am I saying? I even stole a, an Anthony Braxton album, one with all kind of crazy musical scores on it. I thought it was going to unlock the secrets of the universe instead it just sounded like a mess. But hey, you know, you're going to pick out some bad albums when you're on that kind of wild stealing spree that uh, a guy allows you to do. But one of the albums I got was Captain Beefheart's Trout Mask Replica. We made our way back to uh, my buddy's house. His mom was sitting there in the living room when we got home. She noticed that we each had a huge stack of albums under our arms. And she said, you know, where'd you get all those? And my friend said, uh, we borrowed them from, you know, from so-and-so. I'm not gonna say the name. Actually, I don't even remember the name of the Sticks-like guy, but he made it seem like we were hanging with so-and-so at his house and just happened to come home with it. And by it, I mean two stacks of 36 records, each of us carrying a big stack. We went up to my friend's room. We fired up and cracked open. We were just amazed by this Trout Mask, uh, this Trout Mask Replica album cover. We liked pushing people. We liked pushing buttons. And man, this, this cover promised a lot. We were just laughing our heads off. We're looking at all the pictures and the, you know, the inside cover and the back sleeve and the, you know, of course the fish thing. And then we, we put the needle down the first song. And you know, there's that faint hum and crackle of a, of an album of actual vinyl. The next thing we knew it was like Hendrix had been multiplied, cutting out all the, all the nonsense cutting out the chops, cutting out the time signatures, cutting out chord changes. It was just like all that 
that force field that you you know is the essence of an amazing Hendrix solo, just cloned, repeated. The song Frownland just leapt out of the speakers. There was no distance between the, uh, the you know the the screen on the speakers and our brains, just directly injected into us. Here's what it sounded like that fateful night. <laughs> I cannot go back to your frown land My spirit's made up of the ocean and the sky And the sun in the moon in all my conceits I cannot go back to your land of gloom Where black jagged shadows Remind me of the coming of your doom. I want my own Take my hand and come with me. It's not too late for you. It is not too late for me to find my home. Where man can stand by another man without an ego flying. No man lying And no one dying by an earthly hand Let the devil burn in the beggar land And the little girls that live in those old worlds Take my kind hand My smile is stuck I cannot go back to your frown land I cannot go back to your frown land I'm ready. 
James Blood Omer. Are you glad to be in America on Rocktown Hall's Saturday Night Shut-In? We're listening to the first time I ever heard your record. Here's another. This is one of the earliest turn-ons I ever had in my, my uncle's bedroom where he'd let me paint day-glow colors on his wall. This is the way all concerts should begin. Joe Cocker, the Mad Dogs in English. You can take it away, Joe. As the Englishman, I enjoy cocker.
Alabama Shakes. Now, here's a band. You know, not all these memorable listening moments come from my vinyl-fueled past. Sometimes I, you know, in more recent years, sometimes I eventually just click on a link that I'm provided. I'd been seeing a lot about this Alabama Shakes band when they came out, mostly at the, uh, kind of the behest of the tr local AAA station in Philadelphia. WXPN, which does some good stuff. But, uh, you know, sometimes they just drive it home a little too hard, and I, I'm still holding it against them for a long stretch when they, when they first kind of became a, you know, fake commercial station instead of being the old actual college station that, you know, that I loved and, you know, got turned on to in high school and which, uh, you know, helped get my own little band off the ground in Philadelphia. Those were great days. And there's this long stretch of them playing, you know, albums by women with three waspy names and, you know, like the, the last blues guy who had a, you know, who, whose heart was ticking, uh, you know, all the, all the significant blues guys had long died and the only ones were left were like the blues equivalents of, you know, probably what me and my friends and our band will be someday when we're, when we're 75 years old, 80 years old and everybody else is gone, uh, should we, I wouldn't say be that lucky, but you know what I mean. Speak, speak poorly of the future dead. But uh, that that hold on, that, that that song was on a link, and I finally just said, okay, come on, I'm sick of hearing about this band. I'm gonna click on and just kind of confirm that they're gonna suck. They're gonna be this overblown band that you know white people who don't really like soul music are getting into. You know, it kind of makes them feel good. They've checked off the little soul box. I had a really bad attitude about them. I clicked it on and I loved it. I, I felt like this was, you know, this was a record that I would have given my left nut to have made. It, you know, it kind of satisfied so much of what I loved. And the Pinky Rock, that kind of Joe Cocker and the Mad Dogs and the Englishman kind of, you know, swagger. Uh, just totally over the top. You know, going on the one and the four chords just awesome so I finally you know at that point just clicking on a link I got turned on to the Alabama shakes and uh, that album was tremendous I believe they have a new album out came out maybe a couple months ago and I'm right back where I started I just assume it's gonna suck for some reason I'm very strange that way so going back to WXPN and it's uh, you know kind of actual college freeform days when I was in high school, learned about something called Yesterday's Now Music Today, a show hosted by Lee Paris. A lot of what he, you know, I would listen to, I think it was on Sunday nights, and it was one of those things, you know, I'd be going to bed and just have it on, and I had a little tape deck, you know, built in with my radio, and every once in a while, I, like every new song, I'd hit record in case there was a good, a good new song that I'd never heard before. And a lot of what Lee Paris played, I know he's a legend in Philadelphia, and, and I really owe a lot to him for turning me on to this next song. He played a lot of kind of gothy kind of stuff and a little like club music. And every time I hit record on those songs, I was like, oh man, I got, I got to rewind and, you know, cue up the tape again, see what the next song is. You know, a Jukebox Baby by Alan, Alan Veggie turned me on to that song. It was amazing. But the one that really blew my mind the one that kind of cemented my Sunday nights with uh, Yesterday's Now Music Today was, was this strange number coming up. And it was, uh, you know, you talk about a, a record that just kind of takes you to some new world, some unexplored territory. This was it for me. It was, it was dark, but it was also funny. It was absurd. It was all kind of good stuff. Here we go. This is Perubus, 30 seconds over Tokyo. This is how it sounded to me the first time.
flew off early in the hills of dawn In a metal dragon lost in time A skimming waves of an underground sea In some kind of dream world fantasy On a hot circle on a canopy, a 25 racing my fracking sea. A hesitant blur of an alien land. No time to give ourselves to strange sand. Dark black spiders twisting in the sky Reaching twisted claws on every side No place to run, no place to hide No turning back on a suicide ride Tall city streets come through my sides And sprouting clumps of mushrooms like a world so real This dream won't ever, ever end And time seems like it'll never be again 30 seconds in a one-way ride 30 seconds in a place you can't Seconds over Tokyo. Thirty 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 seconds over Tokyo. 
excited me so much the first time I heard it. I was, you know, at this point where I had a pretty clear vision. I was on this, uh, this road, this, this mission of, of achieving what I wanted to do with music, with my band. Now I'm going to, as a quick aside, we didn't get anywhere close to where I wanted to get. But in my plan, we were kind of like, you know, lining up a couple years, couple albums in the in the future. We lined up for we were lined up for our kind of, you know, pastoral, you know, romantic album. And by that point, I figured, you know, I would have kind of made my mark in the music world. And again, you have to understand, I was so full of youthful idealism when I was youthful and idealistic. That it's not funny. It, it's it's actually embarrassing. But why pretend it's not so? So I figured I was, you know, a couple years away from, you know, kind of easing off the road, because <laughs> I I've barely been on the road as as it was for more than a week at a time. But you know, I'd already envisioned some you know some long ass hauls on the road for the next few years, followed by an easing back period when I was kind of you know living in a cabin somewhere and woodshedding with the guys. It was an amazing vision. And uh, you know, that, that love on a farm boy's wages, you know, it kind of promised this, this love of my life that was gonna come. That was actually the one thing that would come in my vision. The love of my life was, was not too far off into the distance. So at least I was right about something. But uh, the, the other big memory I have of the entire Mummer album, Mummer, I got Mummer and uh, Per Ubu's Dub Housing, whatever year they, you know, 83 or sometime like that, right before music went down the tubes. And I remember getting those albums and that fall being home, uh, kind of, I think I was home because I was, might have been like suspended or half flunked out of school or something stupid like that. But uh, I was home and my friend Mike, my friend Mike had an older brother, a year older, who was just, so his brother Jim was just a year younger than me. Growing up, Jim was always kind of a dick. He was funny and all, and he was smart, but he just couldn't like relax and just be a dude. He always had, he always had to have an edge to him. It was kind of annoying. But this one time was kind of right before, like, just like Thanksgiving holiday or you know sometime in the in the fall. He was home from college. We we're all hanging out, 
Mike and Jim's house, his parents, their parents' house, and uh, playing those records, Dub Housing and Mummer. It was the first time, like, I ever got to hang with Jim for an extended point where he was, he was just like relaxed and mellow, and he he was a dude for once. He just let himself be with our gang. He fit in great. He was digging the albums, and we were you know, talking about music, talking about life. And he went off to, you know, went back to school. It's his freshman year in college, and shortly thereafter, well, he would not be back. Now, here's a song that I probably first heard this band play. They might have played it on Saturday Night Live when I was a teenager. Again, I didn't get it originally. When I first heard this record in college, after I'd lived, after I'd loved a bit, after I'd had time to study these three, you know, kind of groovy looking girls on the cover, kind of crunchy, groovy girls, I got into it. If you go down to
Big Dipper, all going out together from the excellent Heavens album. You might remember Friend of the Hall, Gary Wallach. Wallach. You know what? I never really know how to pronounce his last name, which is shameful. But uh, you might remember a great interview he did with us, as well as sharing in the My First Band uh, demo competition, where we, we, not competition, collection of first demo recordings by various uh, townspeople. Gary contributed a track from his high school new wave band. I got turned on to Big Dipper, a band I didn't really know anything about. I think through my dear friend, Dave Ragsdale. Dave and his little crew, one of our cousin bands, a band called Sky Grits, they got into them somehow. Mark Schreiber, another local music friend, I'm still friends with, actually better friends with to this day. I barely knew Mark years and years ago. Then I knew him a little bit because he was a cool record store clerk. But Mark, Dave, a couple other guys were into Big Dipper first in Philadelphia, at least among people I hung, you know, I hung with. They told me, you got to check out this band. They played me the record and I bought the record. I loved it immediately. Now, the one, the one album I did not pull out tonight that I should have was Imperial Bedroom, because that's really my favorite uh, first time I ever heard your record story. I'm not sure if I've ever shared this fully in writing. And I'm, I'm going to try to dance around certain topics because it's, uh, I don't know what the statute of limitations is, but I was out with one of my friends, uh, an old college friend. We were still young then, so we were new friends, you know, just a couple of years into our friendship. We went into New York for the day. And there was this new Costello record out, Imperial Bedroom, which had been, I think, literally advertised as a masterpiece. It was the days when you could just declare something was a masterpiece, and there was still this belief that you know, rock and roll could produce such a thing. Nowadays, I don't think you can apply that to the newest uh, you know, Arcade Fire album when they have 28 people playing you know, old-time instruments, and they still sound like a four-piece version of The Cure. I don't know how they managed to do that with all those accordions and zithers and washboards and whatnot. <laughs> but anyhow, Imperial Bedroom. So we're all excited. We're both huge Costello and the Attractions fans. And uh, we go back to my friend's neighborhood in North Jersey. And, you know, the, the first thing, we, we were just so we're just dying to fire up and, and crack open this new album and play it and, you know, see what it's like, see what, see what this masterpiece is all about. So my friend's parents are home and he doesn't have the kind of parents who are going to let him, you know, smoke pot in the house while they're home. So he says, ah, you know what? My friend, I, I forget his name, let's call him Bobby, right? My, my friend Bobby's parents are on vacation. I know how to get into his house. And I said to my friend, you're crazy. We can't do that. We can't just go in someone's house. Oh no, we, you know, I do it all the time. He, he knows I know how to get in. He, he's cool with it. So he knows how to open this one window to the basement. We crawl in the window like common crooks. And we go in there and, you know, I mean, as soon as we get in there and just make sure nobody's home, crack open Imperial Bedroom, uh, roll a joint, get really high, and put the needle down. You know, for history repeats the old conceit, beyond belief, you know, comes on. And next couple songs, you know, Shabby Doll. And there's a man out of time, man out of time's on. And we're like, the buzz is just, you know, to the max right now. We can't believe how great this album is. It actually is a masterpiece. You know, we're listening to this in this guy's house that we kind of broke into. We had to listen to the new Costello album as soon as possible. And we had to listen to it high. You talk about a memorable moment, you know, forbidden fruit of, you know, 
uh, all these factors combined. And it was a great album. I don't know that it's a masterpiece now. You know, it's many years later, and I've, I've calmed down a bit. But it was great. What a great way to get turned onto an album the first time. I, I wouldn't recommend doing it. I, I'm not advocating doing that. But if you happen to look back at your life and, and realize that one time you were stupid enough to listen to your friend who thought it was a good idea to break into his friend's house just so he could listen to you know, the new record that we bought and get high. Because, you know, God forbid at that point in life, we, we could have listened to a new album straight the first time. It wasn't, that was out of the question. But that is my imperial bedroom story. And I, I apologize profusely to so-called Bobby's parents. I'm going to play one more. It's, you know, kind of just the, to me, the ultimate the ultimate put down the needle and just have your mind blown song because it's it's an album specifically about you know, kind of about this topic and you know i love it you know i love this particular version you know how how if, if you know me at all you know how pained i am by these digital reissues where a certain you know excised uh, portion of the song was put back in some Dork for you know came up from his mom's basement with his high-tech equipment and thought he was doing the the world a favor by splicing in a few extra measures. That's not the case. That's not what was meant. It's not the way it was meant to sound. So I'm gonna leave you with one more song. I I, I could go on all night, but it would be too long. It would bore the snot out of you if I haven't done that already. But thanks for sticking around. You're listening to Rocktown Hall Saturday nights. Got tongue tied. You're listening to Rocktown Hall's Saturday Night Shut In. I am and have been your host, Mr. Moderate. Check in on the web, www.rocktownhall. Post your comments on this episode. We can discuss. Share it with friends. All that chats. Maybe next time I'll listen to you. I'll let you listen to this. Maybe next time I'll just play the entire Glenn Branca's the Ascension album, just blast it, you know, for a whole 40-some minutes. Talk about another uh, album I just put the needle down on the first time, you know, I just, it just seemed cool to have this album, and I got back to my my dorm room and, and cranked it up, and just hearing it barely in the background. Listen to that, that is exciting. You should have seen it played live. Now I'm playing the hip or the now card. I saw Glenn Branca live, a couple of those guys from yeah, no, the the, the uh, Sonic Youth guys weren't in the band at that point, but these guys from some other band, Tim Sumner, who's a great writer, but I couldn't stand the band. Radio, there was-